it finally did happened. It. We did it, everyone. It Congratulations. The nation came together, and now we have a functioning blue uh, line of the bus plus service of the CDTA. Oh, wait, what? It's happening. <laughs> yeah. It, we, we passed by it today on the on the way. Like, there's uh, the, the bus plus Fuck blue yeah. line running first time today. Very exciting. Nice. And yeah. that's not the electric one, right? That's just the express. So D- CDTA bought, like, I think it was six um battery powered uh all electric buses uh and they they those get used on different lines okay uh but they're not they're not the bus plus ones all the bus plus ones are hybrid uh diesel electric buses oh interesting yeah partial zero emission vehicle <laughs> yes partial zero <laughs> uh whenever i uh i see that i'm like i, I look such, I, such I, a good term because <laughs> like i'm on a bicycle right and i'm like behind like these pzevs and i'm like what the fuck does that mean and then i think about it myself and i'm like i guess i'm a partial zero emission vehicle <laughs> i mean you are exhaling carbon dioxide yeah, yeah. at probably a much higher rate than and the person driving yeah probably probably yeah exactly at a higher rate than the person driving but ultimately that co2 is um let me think about this real quick captured by a tree yeah and also i think sourced from my food yeah is that the way that works uh i don't think so respiration you know yeah, taking, maybe yeah i guess so. taking glucose breaking it down with yeah i mean O2. if your body makes it then it's obviously sourced by the only thing that fuels your body which would be yeah you know it's interesting the chemical reaction for or the chemical equation for combustion is the same one as aerobic respiration and so in like a chemical way we're sort of doing the whole you know uh thing the buddha said when he came out of the enlightenment like uh what do you call it like moment he's like oh everyone's on fire we're all on fire <laughs> we're all tiny little explosions yeah yeah just flames you know jets of hot burning gas but um speaking the- of everyone and everything being on fire <laughs> yeah <laughs> see i, I speaking actually- a bunch of hot gas <laughs> oh, oh very nice uh, politics I'm, eh i was only uh following uh you know no polls no, no election results. No, um, you know, journalistic uh, interpretation of the stats. I was only following Donald Trump's Twitter, and I was surprised. Wait, really? Yeah, I was surprised to see that he won by a lot. Yeah, yeah, by a lot. A it's lot. A, it's a, it's pretty uh pretty impressive. Yeah, I was so, not expecting so much that. that it forces your keyboard to go into all <laughs> exclamations, uh, yeah, all, all caps. Yeah. Yeah, so so uh, we're gonna do we're, one episode on a post mortem of the election, yeah, yeah. and then not even a whole episode, not even a whole episode, yeah. and then we're never gonna talk about it again. Yeah, just gonna get out of our systems. We're only time we'll ever bring up this election again is when it is eventually overturned by the Supreme Court. <laughs> uh, in like in like two oh, weeks. Man. I I I'm, I still think it could happen. I think it absolutely could happen. Yeah. I I I would They're put trying. its probability fairly low. I'm gonna give it a twenty percent. I'm going to pull a Nate Silver, and I'm going to say two in ten chance. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, especially Nate Silver, but also just like mainstream punditry in general, rushing in to defend their wrong predictions (laughs) and like just desperately trying to justify their existence (sighs) and like, no, 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 here's the reason that you are dumb for not understanding how polls work. Um, and, And like, I have yet to hear somebody articulate a good reason for us to have polls <laughs> other than just for politicians to know whom to pander to and in what ways like yeah. that's all and you know maybe if we didn't have all of this uh fucking like magical thinking that is polling 
politicians would actually have to have their own fucking platform that actually indicates what they believe in. I don't know. I'm just, uh, maybe that's crazy. Maybe we should uh, sort of end the episode with all of our um, opinions about changes to our electoral system that would bring about better outcomes. That, that might be, Jeez, that, that, been, that might be a good way yeah. to, to cap it up. Yeah. Um, but, but if we could like just uncuck the polls for a second and think about a uh, shout out Bill Mitchell, I hope he gets better. Uh, <laughs> just so he can get back on on Twitter or whatever right wing uh, knockoff. What's wrong with Bill so, Mitchell? I, who knows? He, he posted too hard and he broke his fingers. I don't oh, know. No. <laughs> Same <laughs> but, with Alton Brown. Just, did you guys yeah. see Alton Brown's meltdown? Yeah, he went wild. He was, was like, I'm, I'm putting cheddar cheese in with some Marlboro cigarettes and putting it in the microwave. He's just like saying weird shit. Wait, yeah. like uh, the science food guy who yeah. explains like yeah. how baking works? Yeah. Yeah, he had like a very strange Twitter event i don't even know yeah. really what to call it but um anyway I heard, I heard there was there was some mass um transition happening for like maggot chugs that like they it, i don't know maybe they're getting deprogrammed i hope so but the, the so real quick though the, to yeah. stick up to the polls right the thing about why it's so dumb to imagine that nate silver can divine the future through uh like reading closely quinnipack polls or whatever is because you have to is if you asked pretty much anyone in mainstream media, do we live in unprecedented times? They would obviously say yes. Even though we could argue that that's true or not, but they would definitely say yes. So we're going to take their premise, right? That we're living in unprecedented times. Uh, All of those predictions, right, require that past is prologue, right? That uh, things that happened in the past can help us predict the future. Mm-hmm. Because you can go like, oh, well, you know, Ohio, uh, it, um, you know, Republicans only win if they win Ohio, which is true, right? If it, uh, Republicans can't win the presidency if they don't win Ohio, that hasn't been the case. You, you've never had a, a, a Republican president lose Ohio and go on to win the presidency since in modern times, right? But modern times starts in like 1972 <laughs> when we were doing these uh, 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 full primaries, right? Right. So. That means that we have an N, right, a, a full uh, a group of, like, things to, to compare to of 12. Right. 12 elections. Okay, yep. So, like, an N of 12, if, you've, if you ever do any sort of, like, statistics or math, isn't fucking enough. You know, it's, like, it's not enough elections. It tells elections. you less than nothing. Yeah, yeah. and so, like... Well, Nate Silver said, uh, it, every election, this is the second least close election since 2000. <laughs> Which means that out of, like, this is one of the top five of the last five elections, is essentially is yeah, what that right. says. Like, yeah. it's, it's number two out of five. Yeah. That is, like, I mean, that would be like if I said, wow, out of my last, you know, never mind. No, yeah. no never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's like, it's like uh, yeah, it, it, it's, um, I, th- I think it was um, my fr- uh, friend Nathan Jurgensen, uh, uh, editor in chief of Real Life Magazine, listen to the audio edition that uh, um, you know said that you know, like f- f- you know how like Stephen Colbert originally had like the truthiness. It was like the very first Colbert Report episode where he's mm-hmm. like the word was truthiness, and he's like you know like listen to your gut right instead of uh, what books tell you right. Liberals have factiness. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. right where yeah. they're where they're just like look numbers. Look, yeah. look at all the numbers. Look at Steve Kornacki telling me all the numbers, and because. It, you say it. You say something completely dumb and disconnected from reality using statistics. It looks like 
objective math that that you're smart that you're smart for knowing mm-hmm. but it's not it's not connected to anything so yeah yeah and you can already see that they're using it i like that framing of it because you can already see that they're using that factiness to say that it was the lincoln project and not progressive on the ground activism that that won them this squeaker of an election yeah and the reason that they can say that is that like they have this fascinating ability to undermine any 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 successes that have been spurred on by progressives and by the left wing of the party and say oh well yeah okay like AOC can win her reelection because she's in a blue district and these progressives just think that they can apply the the strategies and the tactics that they use in you know these these super blue places as if that's going to help us nationwide and when in reality the people who won us this election are moderates and then they are able to you know, recharacterize the data such that it fits that narrative. It doesn't matter if it's factually true or if there's any real evidence to support it. Um, it just sounds true. And then yeah, they bring yeah. John Kasich on to like tell everybody why <laughs> progressives are idiots and we can't listen to them. Right, ignoring the like the 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 facts that like Cory Bush, won, uh, a progressive Black Lives Matter activist, won in Deep Red, Missouri, uh, a, a house seat, and um. Candace Valenzuela, I think her name is, in Texas. Yeah. Also, big progressive. And Florida... Uh, won a house seat. Florida voted... Flip, flipped it from Republican. It was a Republican district. She flipped it. Yeah. And Florida voted in a $15 hour minimum wage. We, we got, like, many... more legal drugs than ever before. I know. Yeah. Fucking Oregon was just, like, do coke. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Right, was it Oregon or Washington? Yeah, State? no, it was yeah, Oregon. Oregon. O- Oregon practically like like made legal the the addictive video game from Star Trek the Next Generation that Wesley <laughs> is too much of a dork to enjoy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's really incredible how how nothing has been learned and there's no indication that anything will ever be learned. Yeah. Well, um, it, it's always about narrative creation, right? So these people aren't out there to learn lessons to, you know, help in their strategy to, say, win elections. They're there to uh, convince the public of things that are convenient to their power apparatus. Right. So, you know, like, what was it, 15-point drop in Democrat support for banning fracking after the the, uh, vice presidential debate? Like, where, you know, Kamala Harris was like, let me be perfectly clear, Biden will not ban fracking fracking yeah listen to the scientists listen to the scientist he's not going to ban fracking it's like what the fuck yeah and then you know the democratic party's like oh i guess we don't like i guess we like fracking now okay cool and look the numbers show that people don't want to ban fracking when you're (laughs) in fact creating the conditions under which people decide whether or not they support i wanted to give a shout out to um a recent real life essay by Alicia Puglianessi. It's called Atmospheric Disturbances. And it talks about predicting the history of meteorology and how it relates to predicting human behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially that like you have this, unlike meteorology, where our observation and prediction of it does not affect the weather, mm-hmm. um, our observation and prediction of human behavior does in fact predict human behavior, or does in fact skew human behavior. Um, and it's really interesting. It, it's a, You can listen to the podcast version or read it on the website, and I'll link to it in the, in the show notes. But I think that there's something really critical about how we have allowed polling and data collection and all of these things that like create the reality that those who wield 
those tools desire. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that this whole process, I think one way that we could begin to make this entire election process more actually democratic would be to just throw polling out the window. Mm -hmm. Um, No more of this, like trying to divine what exit polls mean in such a way that they shift the narrative to like a pro corporate, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever supports the, the Democrats, um, you know, major fundraisers, (laughs) which is essentially what it is, right? You create a narrative that suits the people who are funneling money into the democratic party. I don't know. Yeah. I really liked that article or essay. Um, and I listened to the podcast version, which was really great. And it made me think a lot about Marianne Williamson, um, going into the primary and how she was talking about the, the, the The dark forces. Yeah. The dark forces, uh, of the American psyche being, uh, channeled and changed by Donald Trump and that to, you know, win a world that we want and deserve that, you know, is, has, equality and like eco grooviness and everything else that we have to like sort of wage psychic warfare and that there's like a battlefield of vibes to uh you know engage on and i think that that's pretty true uh and that the idea of like meteorology for like vibes (laughs) was pretty much what i was getting from the Mm -hmm. atmospheric uh disturbances um essay and i was thinking like yeah, that's pretty much how it works. And um, it, there was another meme that was going around, uh, which came from Futurama, where it's got Professor Farnsworth or whatever is his name, uh, saying, oh, you influence the outcome uh, by uh, by observing it. That's a physics joke about the uh, superposition phenomena of like quantum uh particles where like you can only know about its position or its velocity but not both because simply by observing it using like photons of instrumentation you like physically change the outcome and that idea of like trying to pull and then share that pull affecting you know not just taking a, a reading like you would with a thermometer but like in fact actually changing it simply by observing it and then broadcasting those observations you know is like obviously a tool that's being used by the ruling class to like constrain and shift the um, window of acceptable um, dialogue or at least expectations of what's going to happen. And so far, you know, I have been looking at the news, looking for shooting, blah, 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 any type of violence that's coming out of this election. Everything is staying cool. I mean, yeah, you have people showing up with guns at polling locations Mm -hmm. and, you know, screaming at poll workers and stuff. Um, But so far, like, there hasn't been... As far as I understand it, any like real now now cops are beating the absolute utter shit yes, out of people yes, in cities true. all across the country. But otherwise, we haven't seen the kind of right wing violence that I think a lot of us were afraid of yet. Um, and hopefully that that holds. But, you know, another thing about this uh, predicting behavior and influencing it. And this is something that um, Alicia says in her essay is that, like we don't even know what the effects are. Because, like, as she writes, um, nobody gets paid to ask those questions. So there are these double narratives of, like, well, polling will tell us who's electable. So let's go back to the primary, right? Polling will tell us who's going to be electable in a general. And polling indicates to us that Bernie Sanders is not going to be electable, right? And But then you also have in the general election, oh, well... You know, does does polling that shows that Biden's really far ahead of Trump, does that make people excited and want to turn out to the polls or does it depress voter turnout because people think, oh, this is this is all like in the bag. Um, I don't need to show up. And like, we don't really even have a good idea of which of those is the case. Um, 
at least as far as I understand it. I yeah, don't know I, if there's some pollster out there who like actually knows how that works, but to the best of my knowledge, we don't. And I, I think there's a a new book coming out about Gallup, the the uh, newspaper salesman that first started polling mm-hmm. um, as a gimmick, essentially for uh, to sell advertising. To sell, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, uh, it, it, this this uh, um, you know, snake oil is, has always been just that. Um, and it's only, it's gotten slightly more precise, but yeah, again, there, we don't, no one's paid to ask the question, like, what is the, the effect of the observation? And that's sort of, um, exactly the, you you know, the, you affected the outcome by observing it, uh, joke I use all the time to, with my students, uh, to tell them how hard social sciences, like how mm. complicated the social sciences are, is that they are, it's quantum physics. Like it is so hard to study people because they change as soon as you look at them. Mm-hmm. They, 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 everything about them changes yeah. as soon as they know they're being observed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's, it's just so incredibly hard to uh, understand one person, let alone millions. And the idea that we can just like, call them up on the phone in the middle of dinner <laughs> yeah. and be like, what do you think? And, yeah. they'll, and they'll be like, oh, and tell you something truthful. It's like just so fucking weird. Yeah. And I, I, I should uh, I should also issue, uh, issue a correction uh, in real time that um, the Ca- Candace uh, Valenzuela is still being, che- uh, the race that she's in is still being um, counted oh, in, okay. in, in Texas and it's very, very close and she's just a little behind. But, mm-hmm. um, but still, it's a deep red like county or right. uh, you know like district, district. Yeah. And, and 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 she's like within stone's throw and it's like yeah. and you know who you know how many uh elections uh stacy abrams won you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know come you on you know there was a uh alexandria ocasio-cortez did an interview with the new york times that i thought was really interesting she's basically just talking about like what is the future of the democratic party given the outcome of this election yeah so she she tells the interviewer, I've been begging the party to let me help them for two years. There's al- That's also the damn thing of it. I've been trying to help. Before the election, I offered to help every single swing district Democrat with, my op- with their operation. And every single one of them, but five, refused my help. And all five of the vulnerable or swing district people that I helped secure victory or are on the, that I helped secured victory or are on a path to secure victory. And every single one that rejected my help is losing. And now they're blaming us for their loss. Yep. 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 And a lot of it is not oh, even man. just that she like coached them on how to be progressive in their campaigns, but also the fact that something else she points out, Democrats spent so little on digital. Like mm. they, it, it's, it's criminal. It's, it's absolutely, you know, did, Barack Obama won on the back of digital yeah. he, he practically His campaign practically invented it. Yeah. Him and then and, Trump like won because yeah. of it. Him and uh, uh, Howard Dean. Like, Howard Dean, in 2004, built out all of the Democrats' like digital infrastructure. Uh, Barack Obama used it to great effect in 2008, and then they just fucking dropped it. Yep. Yeah. They just fucking dropped it. It makes no fucking sense. De- well, despite he, the fact he, that there was demonstrable evidence that it was what carried him yeah. to victory. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he did have an enthusiastic yell. <laughs> And that means that anything that <laughs> right. he touched That's good is point. fucking verboten. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's such it's so quaint to think about the uh, fact that Howard Dean, uh, you know, was like tanked by being like, <laughs> like right. that is That's so adorable. it's so tame yeah. by comparison yeah, to yeah. any of the things like um, Joe Biden two days before the election uh, had one of his granddaughters who he never got the name right, but first introduced his granddaughter as his 
long dead son Bo. This is my son Bo Biden, who a lot of you helped elect to the Senate in Delaware. This is my my granddaughter Natalie. This is Natalie. This is Bo's daughter, and we're out campaigning together. And then Hunter's number two, who goes to school here in Philly. This is my granddaughter Finnegan. Um, and that guy is about to be the president, um, which, you know, is a market improvement over a white nationalist. I I do agree with most people on that. Um, but like, holy shit, like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's (laughs) bad. That's real bad. And, you know, another point that she makes is that, um, you know, we are not, I'm not, shouldn't say we, Democrats are not competing on the same turf that Republicans are competing for, for the, you know, hearts and minds of voters. And so there's all of this talk about how um, the, the real lesson to take away from this election is that half the country is just irredeemably oh my god. racist oh my god and you know one of the points that may be true like I, yes we do live in a country founded on white supremacy and oh, it yeah. is a deeply racist nation but absolutely you know the other problem with that is that if you're not competing in the same spaces where these racist conspiracy theories and like rabid right-wing reactionary movements are happening you're not even putting yourself in the game you're not even you're not even putting yourself in play and that's not about saying uh let's you know just forsake black and brown active activists on the ground who won this election for democrats and have and will continue to it's not saying like let's eschew them for this white working class mythological character rather it's saying that like if you're not even you're not even showing up to compete with those narratives at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Trump Trump increased the percentage of voters from every demographic except white men. Yep. You know, there are more black women, more black men, more his, like, Latinx people, more uh, women, all, all voted for Trump than they did in 2016. And yeah. are all now canceled. White men are the only unproblematic <laughs> demographic and, and, and ever. At the, and at the same time, it's like white men did, by and large, vote for Donald Trump. Yes, again. Yeah, so, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But, but I yeah. think that the idea of simplifying everybody who voted for Donald Trump as being an irredeemable racist, besides it being like an oversimplification of the situation, it's incredibly dismissive of like the entire country apparently like half yeah and if you're t- if you're telling uh you know hispanic people that like three percent uh increased their vote for trump that they're like uh irredeemably racist it's like what is what is the democratic party like all about you know like it, it, it would seem to me that not voting for joe biden is not exactly the same thing as being an irredeemable racist uh, you might be an irredeemable racist, and if you are, you probably didn't vote for Joe Biden. Uh, you probably voted for Donald Trump. But that there's a Venn diagram there that isn't a complete circle. Um, yeah, and I think two things with that. The first is like I don't believe in the idea of a an irredeemable racist because you have people, particularly a lot of black people, who have devoted their lives to like deprogramming white supremacists. Like you have people who go from being virulent neo-nazis with literal swastikas tattooed on their faces to being like repentant anti-racists it's true i'm not saying that you can do that with every single person i'm just saying that like i don't i don't think that it's helpful to us to assume that anybody is ever an irredeemable racist and that'll bring me to my second point which is as folks know david and i have been watching house a lot 
And <laughs> one of the one of the tactics that the diagnostic team in how in the uh, fabulous hit television show House MD documentary um, <laughs> docudrama really, um, if if they have a diagnosis that's not treatable, they say, "Well, fuck that diagnosis. What if it's something that is treatable?" You know, like when mm. they come up against a problem that they can't treat and the patient's going to die. Either way, they say, well, maybe it's just something else then. Let's just treat for that because this patient's going to die anyway. That's the that's the point that we're at right now Mm -hmm. is that like there's no time to just like call things unfixable. We just can't. We can't afford to. Even if you're right. Let's bring this is like the free will versus determinism. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. It it may be determinist, but let's behave as if we have free will anyway. Right. Because we can't know. Exactly. You can't know if those people are reachable. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's not like just throwing money at a problem will fix it. How much did the Democrats spend between Amy McGrath. the Amy McGrath campaign <laughs> Amy McGrath. and the other one? God, the one on C. Lindsey Graham. Whose name, I, the guy's name, I can't even remember already. Like, I, for some reason, I guess because it's I, only only because of the Trillbillies do I remember Amy McGrath's name. I don't remember the person running against Lindsey Graham. And together, they spent like $200 million dollars. To, to lose a, by to like lose, by sixteen a points by yeah. a combined thirty five points. Yeah, so yeah. like, Jesus. let's just not do that anymore, uh, yeah. and instead try to reach these supposedly irredeemable races. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's a very problematic take. I know a lot of people um, are pissed off about the left spending so much, you know, hot air on reaching this aggrieved, you know, white working class but at the end of the day like who the fuck else are we supposed to try to reach the base has to expand or else democrats are going to be obsolete so who who do you who else do you want to reach yeah you already have black women are the most reliable high turnout voters in the democratic party so it's not like we can just spend all of our energy trying to get more of them um you already are seeing the fragmentation of a lot of these identity and ethnicity based bases that democrats consider to be kind of their um, their home turf, like those identities, those communities are it already very becoming more fragmented if they weren't already completely fragmented in the first place. Yeah. So like these ideas of these monolithic demographics that you can either just count on or write off, I think a big takeaway from this election is just how ideologically incoherent so much of the American kind of like consciousnesses. Yeah. I mean, you have California, a deep blue progressive state that voted yes on Prop 22. Yeah. Which yeah. essentially is like, creates like, you Remarkable. know, a, 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 we have a, we have a, a feudalist fucking underclass in this yep. country that is the gig worker. Yep. And so, you know, Florida goes red, but votes in $25 or $15, I wish $25, $15 minimum wage. You have, you know, I, I, I just, I don't, Felon voting rights get brought into California and at the Florida. same time. And Florida. And, and Florida before. Yeah, yeah but you know, California like votes in felon voting rights, but takes away poor people's ability to organize uh, with Prop 22, right? Well, yeah. is, which is essentially what that does, right? But and, and the thing that drives me nuts, and again, if you think that we should uh, tabulate exactly how many of the two groups that I'm about to describe exist, please rewind this episode to the point where we were talking about... <laughs> Uh, factiness right but um you know just just imagine how how many which one is a bigger group all right people who voted for barack obama twice and then voted for donald trump or people who voted for donald trump and now voted for joe biden (laughs) yeah what's what's the bigger Mm, what's the bigger group okay yeah i see where you're going with this you know it's like like i like 
It's much I, easier and worth the energy to get those people back yeah. than it is to try to find this mythological white Republican moderate. Who, and, and and like, like stop trying to think that, try, stop trying to turn Barack Obama into your magical black man and like think about how he won. He talked about change a lot. That was literally the only thing he talked incredibly about. Incredibly progressive rhetoric yeah. on his campaign. Right. And, yeah. um, to unseat a, a Republican who who did war crimes. Yep. And he led us to believe that we would uh, like reconcile he that. He ran as an anti-imperialist. Yeah, he ran as an anti-imperialist. And, and then he had like a, a banging digital campaign. You know, like just like, that's it. There it is. That's the Obama coalition. It's yeah. not like some mystical like, like potion that he drank and convinced like the rural white man to vote for him, right? It's it's it, it, it's right there. And so, truly, the best indicator of whether or not somebody voted for Trump or Biden was actually their income. And guess what? Fuck. People who made whatever it was more <laughs> or than education. Well, yeah, yeah but yeah. I think that the real tie is income. Yep. I mean, education maps roughly onto True. income, but I think, and I don't know, maybe somebody will run the numbers and figure it out. No, I don't care. Don't fucking um, run the numbers. The point <laughs> is, like, if people who make over $100,000 a year were more likely to vote for Trump and people who made under $50,000 a year were extremely likely to vote for Biden, guess what? Most of the people in this fucking country make less than $100,000 a year, which means that you are already starting on third base. Like you have the potential, this massive underclass. (laughs) Like starting (laughs) starting at third base, that's a real time saver. Yo. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I I agree with what you guys are saying, and I want to sort of pivot the conversation real quick to like not necessarily pro- prognosticating the best way for the Democrats to win in the future, but sort of shifting the conversation to how do we win the Democrats to the side of good and not evil? Yeah. Uh, which is sort of the question that that's on my mind right now, because I'm looking, you know, for, I had about a, a half hour uh, celebration, you know, um, I'm dry right now, but if I wasn't, I would be, uh, you know, having a pint and, and cheersing the uh, downfall of uh, epic loser Donald Trump. Fucking loser. Yeah, he, now he's going to be lame duck, uh, big uh, lame baby Huey energy. Um, and I'm excited to see him basically flail and, and fail until he leaves. Um, but... After that about half hour uh, period, I was like, oh, fuck. We're looking at a really, really bleak situation. Yeah. Um, We have an accelerating pandemic, which we had, I think, 140,000 new cases um, uh, as of, like, I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, huge. Um, And so we're going to be inside. Uh, We're going to have to go back to work. We're going to, you know, have um, Donald Trump's, uh, you know, I don't give a fuck energy until like mid January at the earliest, you know, not to say that Biden's going to make anything better, but then, you know, what's going to happen? Biden's probably going to resign because he's like literally incoherent. He can't function and rule. Um, And so President Kamala Harris is going to, um, you know, like. I don't uh, think he'll resign. I really don't think he'll resign. Okay. But, 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 because he's wanted to be president for like 35 years. Fair enough. (laughs) But I think that like he did just confuse his granddaughter for his long dead son, like in public. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he'll want it. He should resign. That doesn't (laughs) mean he's going to. They're going to create the soundstage and they're going to put him (laughs) in a fake Oval Office and give him things to sign. They're just going to keep pumping him full of adrenochrome so that he can, you know, three out of four times show up relatively coherent. But. We were looking at a Democratic Party that has uh, finally settled the battle for its soul. Um, it is an evil uh, neoliberal party that is against the interests 
of the planet and workers. Uh, it has no uh, fucks to give about the future or of the uh, vast uh, increasing poverty of the population that it uh, reportedly serves and feeds. Um, and that we, we are feed them. Yeah, and we're going <laughs> to the not, green new dream or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, four years from now, what's going to happen? We're going to have nobody primary uh, Kamala. You know, Kamala is going to be running unopposed on the Democratic ticket. Um, and it, she's going to be running against a uh, probably eco-fascist. And, Quite possibly, yeah. A and, populist eco-fascist. Is- and, yeah. And when I think about the very long term in terms of morality, right? Like we have children in cages. We have uh, totally fucked up conditions for workers. We have, um, you know, a uh, public sector that is uh, being, you know, completely looted. We have environmental uh, deregulation and toxification of our land, water, and air. We have like all this totally fucked up shit. And in the very urgent you know, near term uh, situation, you could have a uh, neoliberal person who's like, we're going to like, you know, reunite the caged kids with the caged families. We're going to still keep them in cages, but we're going to make it better. The moms and, will be in the cages with them. Yeah. And then you're going to pe- have people be like, well, that's harm reduction. Right. And then you're going to have somebody who's like, well, we're going to build a wall. We're going to put drones on it. We're going to, you know, basically go to war with other countries for the natural resources. We're going to be complete mask off imperialists uh, to raise our quality of life. But we're going to reach uh, complete renewables by 2035. And in that situation, I'm asking myself, like, what would be the moral calculus and who would I vote for? Because like, if you consider the fact that we live in just a tiny snapshot of humanity and that like, hypothetically, ideally, there's a nearly infinite amount of human lives that are going to be lived on this planet from now on and into the future. And if their lives, you know, for the next 10,000 years or whatever, are going to be completely immiserated by a changed climate of which, you know, we're not doing anything right now, and we could, in this tiny little snapshot, as David Attenborough is pointing out, actually do something to like postpone or cancel this catastrophic collapse of our entire ecosystem. How much like acute suffering or evil to either the most vulnerable people in our planet, uh, country right now or the most vulnerable people on the planet generally would be worth accepting if it meant that we could have endless generations of people. So how many like black and brown people are you willing to throw into the gears of colonialism and like Western imperialism in order to save the climate? Basically is the question. That's the question that I ask myself that I'm uncomfortable to talk about out loud, but I think that it warrants talking about out loud because I think that's going to be likely a scenario that's going to be presented to us on a ballot within four to eight years from now. I mean, I personally think that it comes down to a moral question in which, like, no, you don't give an inch on that. And there's if the if the human race requires that kind of of um, trade trade, then it's not it's not deserving of continued life. I like that. And life will go on on this planet. And, you know, maybe the octopi can the octopodes, the octopuses, octopuses can take over after us. Um, But no, I don't think a single the, the life of a single black or brown person or anybody in the global south or any is worth that trade no i i say fucking jettison it into the sun that's it we don't humans aren't that humans aren't that great 
Yeah, um, and not not like I believe in eco fascists would oh, even no, follow know, yeah. uh, through with their the eco side of their like. <laughs> right. Well, they would follow through with eco side, but not the eco half of their eco fascism you <laughs> yeah, know, ideology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I could see why people would be in a pickle. You know, because when sure. you, when you think about the uh, and I lo- I love the way you answered that, and it's essentially the way I think I would um, you know address it as well. But just thinking about that, those different sets of stakes. And that one of the stakes has a level of permanence that is like so scientifically irrefutable. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just yeah. like, ah, like, you know, the most disheartening thing about this whole election, I think, is that the lessons learned by the party of the Democrats is that we don't, they don't need to move to the left on uh, human rights and the climate. But yeah, David had uh, shared a tweet which basically outlined that every single uh, congressional Democrat that was like for Medicare for all won. One reelection, and everyone yeah. that was against Medicare for all lost. lost. Yeah, it's Loser. a very straightforward. And you would yeah. think that, but that's where the factiness is, right? right is that like right. that very bare bones, easy to look? At. If something is too easy to calculate, like a simple, let's put these people in a list and two columns of whether or not they supported what Medicare for all and whether or not they won re-election. If the calculus is that easy, then it is not legitimate, right? It's not worthy of analysis from a punditry or like a uh, kind of the entrenched, like the DCCC perspective. Absolutely. Um, because you always have to do 60 chess. Ex- you you have always to. have to. And, you know, I wanted to go back to what you were saying, Chris, about like, I don't know, I guess bringing the Democrats around uh, and to just go back to this AOC interview. Um, and I don't really like I'm not interested in lionizing alexandria ocasio-cortez or the squad or anything else like they are still at, at at the end of the day like politicians and you have to kill your heroes if you may expect to make any meaningful change but i do like aoc and i like a lot of stuff she says so um she the interviewer asks her um with regards to the potential hostility of the incoming administration to progressives um he the the interviewer asks i don't know the gender so i shouldn't be saying he but they ask um is there a universe in which they're hostile enough that we're talking about a senate run in a couple of years asking her if there's a lot of hostility from the administration will she run for senate and she says i genuinely don't know i don't even know if i want to be in politics in the first six months of my term, I didn't even know if I was going to run for re-election this year, which I found very surprising. And the interviewer says, really, why? She says, it's the incoming. It's the stress. It's the violence. It's the lack of support from your own party. It's your own party thinking you're the enemy. When your colleagues talk anonymously in the press and then turn around and say you're bad because you actually append your name to your opinion. I chose to run for re-election because I felt like I had to prove that this is real, that this movement was real, that I wasn't a fluke. That people really want guaranteed health care and that people really want the Democratic Party to fight for them. But I'm serious when I tell people the odds of me running for higher office and the odds of me just going off trying to start a homestead somewhere, they're probably the same. And Relatable that like, content. That yeah. was a gut, I mean, that was honestly like a gut punch for me because like... If she she's, I think, kind of a bellwether Mm -hmm. um, and has been really one of the better like prognosticators of how this shit was going to go. And so to hear her say that, like, it's just as likely that she leaves the party and does something else entirely Mm -hmm. um, tells me that this is just a a losing fight. And like, we just kind of need to um, counter losses and just say, like, no, you know, Bernie Sanders was the last shot that we had to. Um, to negotiate with these people that this was that this is sort of I think I said this after it became clear that Bernie had lost the mm-hmm. primary that like there's no sense in like sinking any more of our time into national electoral politics like mm-hmm. until the Greens can get 5% of 
the you yeah. know the 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 general like it's not what is the point yeah. what is the point in even trying so i'm i'm i don't know i mean i i very much sympathize with your perspective as well as aocs um you know i try to think of myself as like someone who doesn't love conflict um you know like i'm not into uh needless argumentation um and uh protest is hard work that's generally thankless and very difficult. And I, you know, do think that it's probably our only hope. Um, but the idea of getting like heavily invested in the electoral system, which is so clearly controlled by forces that do not have our best interest at heart is like, very difficult to motivate myself into yeah. thinking that that's a worthwhile pursuit. Um, well, that's kind of what I'm saying is that I don't think it is. Yeah. And, you know? it, it, well, at least, you know, if, if we are going to engage in politics as, you know, the left, right? What are, what are we doing and why are we doing it? Right. Like, are, do we have some type of realistic hope of trying to shift the Democratic Party into being a pro worker, pro environment, eco socialist party? Um, and how would we do it if we even thought that we could? Like, Voting for Joe Biden, right, seems to be in the snapshot of the moment, the moral proper thing to do, because we have like a literal fascist who is like a piece of shit and, you know, needs to uh, not continue to uh, foment violence <laughs> and uh, immiserate people and not have a federal response to a pandemic that's killed nearly a quarter million of us. But at the same time, if the left were to try and actually have leverage, and be able to pull concessions from a pro-corporate, uh, pro-capitalist party, then it must be organized and willing to lose elections to the fascist right. When Brian, you know, which is yeah. fucked up the way to think about it. But Brian like, and Joy Gray made that point in their interview. Their you know the um, bad faith pods, bad faith pods, much maligned interview with Noam Chomsky, in which she says like, if we're not willing to withhold our vote our vote is meaningless. Bingo. And, you know, she, she quotes like Malcolm X in saying that. I mean, mm -hmm. this is not like some kind of new idea. This is not like, this has been generations of activists, especially black activists, yep. have said, like, if our vote is taken for granted, it is meaningless. Yep. And and that's, it, honestly, like, they've all, they will just browbeat you into submission. Because mm -hmm. if you don't vote against the fascist, then you yourself are a fascist. Mm -hmm. And that, um, I, that is a winning, we've seen that that's a winning strategy for the Democrats. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'll get Noam Chomsky coming out and saying, no matter what, you have to vote blue every single fucking time. Well, I and don't then, think he, I think that a lot of people mischaracterized his statement in that way because he didn't say every single time. He made the argument that Trump is uniquely dangerous. And my point is that there will never, ever, yeah. ever, 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 <laughs> ever, 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 ever be a per alternative that's being put forward by the raging death cult that is the republican party that isn't going to be an existential threat so therefore going forward we need to have a strategy to potentially be willing to lose to that well it's know, ultimately is, a question of like are we what republican party are we facing in the future is it going to be a party of mitt romney's and john mccain's and ronald reagan's who as 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 repugnant as they are are not trump right mm -hmm. they are not as bad as trump mm -hmm. i think because they are not like openly authoritarianly fascist mm -hmm um fascistic perhaps i should say yeah um because somebody uh, several people on twitter schooled me about why we need the ick at the end of these oh, yeah? lists because i don't like them but apparently there is a good reason um 
Grammar. So yeah, whatever. But so my my point <laughs> Grammar, is like fascistics. That that argument of whether or not it's ever ethical or acceptable to withhold a vote in that way is what kind of future Republicans are we looking at saying that we are comfortable with the Democrats losing to them? And mm-hmm. that is a question that will be answered by who takes up the mantle of the Republican Party in the post-Trump era. Mm-hmm. Is are we going to get John Kasichs? Are we going to get these more like moderate Republican yeah. voices that we think are like still evil pieces of shit, but like they're not going to um like install a eugenics program or something. Yeah. No, um, yeah. And you know, that's it, it, it. I think that that will make or break that, that tactic. Yeah. See, I, I, I guess I see this a little bit different in that. I, I think the only time that I could feel comfortable truly like tuning out uh, an election between a Democrat and a Republican. Um, whereas like this time I was like, yeah, you know, if you, if you're in a swing state, you know, maybe, yeah, you know, maybe, throw a vote to Biden, Harris, whatever, right? But um, in this, I think the only time I would feel comfortable just not even saying that is if we started to build actual power outside of these parties that yeah. the parties then react to, right? Because ultimately, the different, uh, both parties in this country, Amer- uh, the American political parties, which are very different than how they act in any other nation, right, are, are just reactive to the outside forces of, like, who they can get money from, who are voting blocks that they can activate. And the left just doesn't have fucking anything, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we don't have a federalist society. We don't have... We don't have a uh, cooperative economy. But. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, know, we, we don't, you know, we don't have these equivalents of, like, all these um, little fiefdoms that the, that the right has put up that are well-funded, that are organized, that are able to just, like, be the... Um, I think it was Milton Freeman, right, that says that, uh, uh, you know, their their goal is to just, like, make all of these policies that are the first at hand when there's a crisis, right? Mm-hmm. So you can... you know, So, like, when there's someone that has to make a decision, they're like, oh, what do we do? There's, like, a very calm, rational person that comes in and goes, here's the plan. I've mm-hmm. been thinking about this and for a And somebody's already time. written legislation. And yeah. All, yeah. Yeah, we don't... And, you know, we don't have an ALEC... Or or a federal society, or you know, all these other Turning Point USA, all these other. Yeah, we have like the Brookings Institute. <laughs> yeah, which sucks. You know, which sucks. Yeah. Which yeah. fucking sucks. Well, we have Real Life Magazine. Yeah, right. oh, <laughs> fucking rules. Um, but you know, like we don't have any of these things, and so I, I, I just I can't really imagine any answer to these questions that we've been talking about without first thinking of well, what sorts of institutions and organizations do we build outside of this. A just irredeemable federalist program, like federal uh, government that, um, and state governments, is, I, I include in that. Like, w- like, what do we build first that then can influence those those uh, levers of power? Because if we don't do that, then we're just like, then yeah, we we are just going to get flukes, yeah, like into into elected office, uh, or or we're going to have. Uh, like maybe a dozen people just like AOC out of the 538 in Congress that are yeah. just like really trying hard to do something. And they're all like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Right. Because Nancy Pelosi has so much power that she can ignore AOC yeah. and, and is very, very, and, and very happy to be in the minority uh, raising money all the time. And I have they're to totally say, fine doing that. Even a lot of liberals are pissed at Pelosi for running again. Like, even I've seen a lot of people who you would consider like moderate liberals who are hmm. pretty fucking done with Nancy hmm. Pelosi's shit. Um, 
And unfortunately, we don't get to vote for Nancy Pelosi, so it really doesn't matter what we think. Um, Yeah, I think you're right, David. I think that, like, without some kind of robust leftist infrastructure, which currently just doesn't exist. I mean, DSA is seeing their numbers, like, kind of skyrocket in the wake of all of this. Um, But, you know, we need an ecosystem. We need an ecosystem. Uh, uh, And ultimately, at the end of the day, like, you have to ask yourself if if DSA, as you know, as great and and, um, lovely as it is, like, if they are... Uh, up to the task of building an entire left infrastructure that can actually compete at a national level with party politics. Yeah. And, um, I, and I don't know if it's just the, um, like the, the, uh, it almost feels like a, like a, an emotional response or like some sort of personality uh, endemic to the left that we, that we constantly default to these like big tent options yeah. and dsa is one of them right where they're like we're not a centralist dem- democratic organization we uh, you, you, we're, we're not even a, a party you know and like anyone can come into it as long as you believe like a couple a handful of things and like you can yeah, go you, you can be a landlord <laughs> yeah you know and like you could be like slightly to the right of aoc and still comfortably be in a lot of dsa chapters yeah. and it's like we need we need some we need part, militancy. We need discipline and militancy. Yeah. Yeah. We really do. We need cadre organizations. We need like things that that organize with a vision. Yeah, and- we need like gun clubs <laughs> and like food programs. Yeah. and you know, I mean, yeah. those things are are difficult to. Those things cost money. Yeah, <laughs> and, cost and, time, and, and getting working people to devote fifteen hours a week to that kind of organizational building is just. It's difficult. Difficult as hell. Ding, ding, ding. I agree with everything that you guys are saying. Uh, I wanted to say a couple things. One is that I think the next candidate we're going to get is going to be either Alex Jones or Tucker Carlson uh, for, from the <laughs> oh, right God. wing. And so yeah. I see an incredible, call it pessimistic, yeah. but I see an incredibly bleak electorate future coming down the line. Absolutely. So, so I think that in becoming militant as you know the left needs to be um we have to shift our strategy to changing the game rules themselves because you're seeing in various states where you have ballot opportunities to say legalize drugs people do if you have a ballot opportunity for people to uh re-enfranchise felons they do um so changing the the game rules by which we play is what's critical so i think that somehow and this has always been the question is like how do you actually mobilize for this but we need a national referendum on the first past the post voting system yeah. we need a multi-choice instant runoff uh ranked choice voting uh system in every single state and doing that more than anything else will allow for there to be a uh contingency of people who care about like the vast majority of Americans, which are sliding into poverty, um, and the uh, future of the vast majority of human beings that are going to live, which is the future of the planet. And therefore, if you are uh, caring about those two things, you need to have the ability to at least put some numbers on the board. Absolutely. Like the Green yeah. Party, you know, I, who do you guys vote for, by the way? I voted Howie Hawkins because I live in New York State. And I knew it was going blue, so I felt no type of uh, moral, um, you know, situation there. But like, I didn't I'm, vote for president. At all? No. Yeah. How anarchist of you. <laughs> I didn't vote at all. Oh, interesting. Um, I really hope that that doesn't get me canceled. But there was just nobody on the ballot that I thought, like, on the entire ballot that I thought was worth. Yeah. And I kind of, part of it was, frankly, political. I wanted the Democrat. I wanted the Democratic Party to know that I voted in 2016 and I did not vote in tw- because the Democratic Party doesn't mm-hmm. know who you voted. They only know yes if or no. You did voted, you vote yeah, or yeah. did you not? Um, and I felt like the. I mean, God, I really, I might even edit this out because I really like don't want to get in trouble with our listeners and I don't want to like um, 
Well, let me know? get let me get ahead my, of that by saying well, if you have. Let me finish okay, my sorry, point sorry. though, just in case I do decide to keep it in. Yeah. Which is that like I felt like the most powerful thing that I could do with my vote was fucking withhold it. Okay. And you know that's um, if there had been some kind of really critical like down ballot election where my vote actually had the potential to make a difference, and I would have voted, but I didn't feel that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in a Republican district in a blue state, and mm-hmm. so if I was going to vote at a statewide level, the Democrat would have won, and if I was going to vote in a local level. Um, that wouldn't really make much of a difference either. And I felt that, like, I wanted to send a message to the party that, like, I have shown up in every single general election since I turned 18, and I did not show up in 2020. Also, you phone banked how many hundred hours? I mean, and, and probably, like, <laughs> a lot. I don't know. Yeah, I you're, mean, one, you're one Not of for more, Biden, but, yeah. like, yeah. I, and, I'm, and I write letters, and I call people. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm active. Like, I'm Very not, politically you know, active. Uh, um, and uh, let me just get ahead of any you know listeners who might be mad that three votes didn't go toward Biden or whatever the fuck. Um, voting in in a presidential election is a snowball in hell, and I uh, really think that you know as far as the 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 election system that we have right now constrains us so much that there was really no say that the three of us actually had uh, in the outcome. It was pretty much predetermined. <laughs> and you can uh, uh, get mad at us for feeling that way, but it's true. So I'd rather whoever's potentially <laughs> going to be mad at, at uh, you guys for not voting uh, to instead get mad at uh, the system that needs to change and I don't know. Let's uh, let's get the discourse going in a way to actually get uh, ranked choice voting. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to say, Chris, along those lines, like there are, we're seeing that when people have the opportunity to vote for policy directly, mm-hmm. they overwhelmingly vote progressive, even in places that we think of as purple or swing states or whatever. Um, and those, you know, ranked choice, um, open primaries, I think would be really important because we're now holding, when you have a closed primary, you're working on the logic that the people who are in your party who vote for a particular candidate reflects in any way, the way a general election is going to go. And Mm -hmm. it fucking doesn't. Correct. Especially when you are, if you have this coveted independent vote that, you know, Democrats are constantly fucking jerking it over. Um, maybe letting a bunch of Democrats get together and, and solely decide who's going to be on the ticket. is like not a good way to appeal to independence. And so, yeah, I think that there are a lot of, rather than if there is a point in engaging in national electoral politics, it's not in terms of trying to get the right candidate or at least maybe that should be secondary to getting actual policies enacted that mm-hmm. will um that will alleviate some of this sort of gridlock uh got to change the game board that you're playing on yeah yeah, yeah. and the rules and the rules for that game board. and the rules for the game board. <laughs> yeah yeah get some house rules get some house rules that are in your favor yeah I, and get more people playing yeah, yeah. that's like even though this uh, turnout for this election was very high mm-hmm. relative to like other elections, it's still what like it still blows. Yeah, it yeah. still blows. Yeah, and that that's why um, I vote Green Party, right? Because like y- y- your intent to send a message uh, by not voting, um, you know, two thirds of the people who can vote don't. Even in this election, which had the greatest turnout of any ever. presidential election ever in American history, so for me, I just choose by that- numbers, not by percent. I think. By yeah, by numbers. Well, maybe by percent. I don't know how fast the U.S. population has grown. I don't think we know yet. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the one that's been being compared to was the 1900 election. Okay, okay. all right. Uh, so, Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but yeah, yeah, no, no problem. But um, I guess all I'm saying is that you know, it, protest votes I think do make some 
<laughs> indication of a uh, you know a, a sentiment, and you know voting third party is a great way to protest vote because like two two thirds of people uh, a protest vote as in not vote out of you know just mostly laziness and, not and you know a this fuck. isn't a this isn't a unique point to make but joe jorgensen probably won biden oh, several yeah. key swing states <laughs> oh yeah you know i mean there were places where trump and biden i can't maybe in wisconsin i can't remember yeah. exactly what states where they were within like one and a half percent of each yeah. other and jorgensen got like 1.8 percent of the vote and um there are no people who would have voted for biden who voted for, for the libertarian yeah. as far as i'm concerned or if they are they're minuscule yes and so you know if you hadn't had those people peel off from trump we would probably be looking at a second term for him it's true and um and what do we do with that logic like what are we what are the <laughs> democrats going to do with that fact they're going to ignore it or, or they're going to pretend that it actually was a bunch of liberals and progressives who voted for the libertarian and that it is really, you know, their fault that Biden did win by more, which I've already seen a bunch of dumb fucking liberals make that point. On I Twitter. mean, the, 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 the headline of the New York Times right now is how Biden won the presidency, a bet on a sober message, not a call for sweeping change. Ooh, that's grimace. not how he won in spite of that. Yeah. Yes. I yes. think that that's. Ultimately, the big divide here is, is it in spite of or because of? Yeah. And that's the difference between a moderate John Kasich or New York Times, apparently, take on the election and a progressive take. Is that yep. like, you know, how much did um, Ilhan Omar win her election by? Like the percent, it was something like 60%, I think she won of the vote. Yeah. In, in Minnesota, where Biden won by, what, 51%, 52%? <laughs> 525 excuse me. <laughs> like, she brought people in who yeah. voted for her like if you have a progressive winning their election by five points more than the person at the and maybe i should actually have these numbers before i just start like shooting from the hip here um <laughs> uh ilan omar okay so so joe biden let's start with let's start with with sleepy joe vibe and biden vibe and biden 52.5 percent of the vote uh, whereas Donald Trump got 45.4, right? So what's the difference there? That's, uh, uh, five, seven, that's seven percent, mm -hmm. seven points, seven points. Ilan Omar, 39 points, 39 points spread. Mm. Just complete shutout. Mm. Total shutout. So the idea that it's moderate, it's his moderate policy that won him in these swing states is absurd. Well, it's, it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, but look, he won. And that was his strategy. So, <laughs> ipso facto, um, yeah, we just need to, you know, have that center strategy. It's the only, it's the only thing that step, works. Step one to defeating Donald Trump is defeating Donald Trump. <laughs> I just don't understand. People, there was so much fear that Bernie Sanders was going to hurt down ballot races. And meanwhile, Joe Biden fucking eviscerated down ballot races. Yep. We had a terrible we. Again, I say we. I do not mean we. They. Yeah. These fucking it's hard, it's hard not to feel that way. a terrible down ballot showing. <laughs> and yet somehow they're still managing to blame that on Bernie fucking Sanders. Yeah. Like he's not on the ticket. Yeah. And, and and these MSNBC, you know, I watch a lot of MSNBC because I want to see what the libs are saying. Yeah. I already know what CNN is saying. I yeah. need to see what the libs are saying. And there's this rush to say that it was the rhetoric around Bernie Sanders socialism that hurt that hurt Democrats. Why are you so ready to accept the Republican framing of everything? Like, yeah. Why? And any thinking person who's not already rabidly ideologically committed to extreme right wing reactionary 
discourse knows that Bernie Sanders is not a communist, knows that Joe Biden most certainly is not a socialist. Yeah. Any thinking person already knows that. So why do you actually think that that messaging is what hurt you with this, you know, coveted independent vote? It's fucking stupid. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm. Well, it's part of the liberal mindset of like, just like not uh thinking anyone else is smart except for you yeah you know it's it's a condescension it's a paternalistic attitude well it's you know they just haven't seen the facts yet yeah and if you yeah, give right, them the facts point. then you know point. it's it's really not even subjective it's not even analytical it's or or sorry it's not even ideological um it's uh analytical and yeah. if you look at the facts then you'll just come out with the right answers and, and i have the right answers um because you know i've got a degree um and you should listen to me right um but uh y- you know it like, I don't know. I'm trying to think strategy for, like, me. Like, my personal strategy going into the next four years. And I might just be that herb that at every single protest, insurrectionary, uh, you know, spasm, um, just, you know, with a cardboard sign that says, rank choice voting now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, because, like, I... You just I, become a single-issue leftist, which is just rank choice. Yeah, I mean, it, I... I mean, it's working in Maine. It's, I mean, it didn't get Susan Collins out. Yeah, who's but, that but guy... it's a good idea. That I think I mentioned him on one of their very early episodes. Um, uh, his name's escaping me right now, but he uh, ran for president in 2016, um, um, on a single uh, tr- thing, which was elector election reform. Yeah. And he's like, you know, if we don't change this, then we can't change anything. And oh, he- the guy who ran uh, against Hillary in the primary. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget, oh, he I played the guitar. Name. Yeah, yeah. But M- O'Malley. Uh, Martin uh, O'Malley? Martin O'Malley. Was well, that th- him or That no? wasn't the guy no, that, that's on my mind. Oh, okay. um, yeah. But, what, but he, he, as far as focusing on a single issue, I where's the lie? Yeah. Where is the lie? Like, outside of changing the electoral game rules by which we play, um, we can't really seemingly uh, survive the 21st century. Um, and, you know, it's such a boring thing to try and, uh, you know, raise uh, consciousness and attention around. It certainly doesn't have the emotional grip of, like, ending uh, police brutality. Uh, it certainly doesn't have the emotional grip of, like, stopping a, you know, extreme fascist or, you know, um, uh, stopping a, a overturning of Roe v. Wade or whatever. But like, if we don't get it, we're fucked. And like, I have no idea how to get it. So if anybody is listening to this that has like some semblance of what would need to be done on an organizational level to bring ranked choice voting to every state in the United States, uh, please write to me. <laughs> I, but you, I don't think that it's even possible because in order to bring it to every state, it has to be imposed by the federal government. And I don't even think that that's legal. Like, that's the thing about living in a republic made yeah. of like independent states that can by and large choose their own voting rules, especially since the fucking Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. So like, I don't know that that's something that can be imposed at a federal level. Maybe it can't. Maybe it has to be grassroots everywhere all at once. Or it have to be like constitutional amendment. I don't know. I mean, I'm not like a constitutional yeah. scholar and, and I, I fucking got a D in U.S. government. So yeah. I'm not <laughs> very like, what, what, but what, I don't, I don't know if there's any kind of campaign that you could build that would actually get that passed in all 50 states well i think you're probably right like legally uh speaking um i guess there's two things i want to put every federal politician's feet to the fire and a camera up close and have them issue public statements on one is i want all of them if they don't believe that there should be a wealth tax at 10 million dollars per human being to explain why i want every single stifles innovation i want them to personally explain why any human being needs more than $10 million and why we should possibly let them have more than $10 million. Innovation. 
and watch them all to have to do it and just show their ass. They've and already this, done it, though. Yeah. The and vast then, majority of them have already done it. The second one I want is uh, them to explain why we can't or shouldn't have ranked choice voting. Because that is... Yeah, you, that to, one's a harder. To, yeah. to explain why you don't want ranked choice voting is to tell on yourself so fucking hard. You know, it's like, because we actually hate... Um, popular opinion and we don't serve the interests of our people and we you know won't be able to uh continue to serve the ruling class if we have uh you know actual democracy over either policy or um you know like the widening of a two-party uh consensus on all the things that help the capitalists like i just fucking make them say that and like i don't know if you're an activist and you're talking to a federal politician stick those two questions with a microphone in their face all right, I got a couple a couple quick thoughts I want to get out before we finish this episode. One is that um, I think, Brittany, you're exactly right, that the idea of eco-fascism versus uh, neoliberal doom is a false choice, uh, both on a moral level because of, uh, you know, the uh, absolute evil that eco-fascism would rot, but also on a, even a scientific or physical level, because, like, the problem of cha- our changing and degrading uh, climate and ecosystem cannot be solved um, by independent nations seeking their self-interest. Yeah. So we do need an international approach to solving the biggest and most pressing issues on our species, our true existential threat that, you know, is only accelerating uh, for the rest of our adult lifetimes. So, you know, just like beware of eco-fascism because we all want the planet to not die, but it is- Keep all my stuff here. Yeah, it, it will not be possible to do through that route. Um, and then the second one thing I wanted to say was, uh, you guys have been, you know, keeping your finger on the pulse and like digesting and engaging in the discourse. And I'm reaping all the benefits because <laughs> I've been off of Twitter now for about a week and probably going to continue being off for another week. Um, and man, was it critical for me oh man this means that we can tell chris something that i don't (laughs) think he knows and it'll be beautiful to capture on on tape okay okay so i i I really hope you haven't heard this yet okay so uh rudy giuliani had to um (laughs) go give a talk he had to go give a speech right okay It's that good. No, no, we're keeping this in. We're keeping this in. So he wait, hang on. Can I can I restart this really quick? Hang on, one second. I I don't want to steal this from you, but I just think that um, so so David um says to me one morning as we're making our coffee and tea and such, and he says, "What is Four Seasons Total Landscaping?" (laughs) What? And I was like, Four Seasons. I was like, Well, is that like a local shop? I was like, well, Four Seasons is a hotel. I don't know. Maybe it's like a landscaping-themed branch of the Four Seasons Hotel <laughs> franchise. I don't know. And David's like, well, Trump is like supposed to be holding a like like a conference there, like a press conference. Um, and I think it was uh, in um, what state was it in? It's in Pennsylvania. It's in, in yeah, Pennsylvania. it's in like Philly, around Philly. Um, okay, so go on, yeah. David. <laughs> the 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 advanced team. Tried to book a Four Seasons hotel to get the press conference, <laughs> but accidentally booked the 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 store 
four seasons, seasons total, total landscaping. landscaping. Which and is- they followed through with it. They gave the press conference at a landscaping company. That is right next to an adult bookstore. What? So, 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 so like some like drab- small town. Yeah. It's, like, just, it's just some just some fucking this drab little parking lot, lot in yeah, front like of a like a gravel parking lot. Yeah, in what front the of fuck? and they like plastered the wall in Trump signs. So that was what Rudy stood in front of while he gave his. And I didn't even listen to the press. I didn't even listen this, to what he said. This is the one where, where they're like, uh, um, they called it. This is also the moment where they're like, um, uh, they they called the election for for Biden. And and, and and it was Rudy, like ten and, minutes yeah. into the press conference. Yeah, and, that, and Rudy's like, and Rudy's like, which one? Who? Who called it? And, and, <laughs> and they're and they're like, all, all the networks. And he goes, oh, oh all the, the oh the my network. goodness, all the networks, oh, oh, wow. all the networks, all the networks, all the networks, all the networks, all the networks thought Biden was going to win by ten percent. Gee, what happened? It's a All co- the experts yeah. who are looking at the numbers. <laughs> Counting the votes. Yeah, this happened at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Uh, four Seasons fucking Total Fucking rules. Tra- is this tragedy or farce? I'm not sure which one. I've lost track of which one we're at. Oh, man. Um, yeah, that is, I mean, that is gold. It's really like, you. it's, it's parody. Like the fact uh, that these... I think Matt Chrisman has been bitching like why are we getting rid of subtext? What happened to subtext? Yeah. <laughs> just, like, everything is like so on its face absurd. Um Yeah, yeah, it really is. And there's also all this freak insane. out about oh, since when did the networks call elections? <laughs> it's, I don't Ever. know, since Nixon? Like who else do you think like reports election results to the people. We like, should go back to prepubescent boys running out of the the, extra, the town extra, square. Read all about it. Well, you, you <laughs> know, Truman wins. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that one uh, that retro um, election thing we should bring back is League of Women Voters running the debates, though. Mm. And uh, and when they were doing it, they allowed for third parties. You know. Mm. Yeah. So there we go. Think about it. League of Women Voters. Get on it. You got our support. <laughs> <laughs> you have the iron weeds poof, sign of approval. <laughs> well, uh, what about uh, anything else coming across the timelines? Any, any, uh, you know, any good news? Any horrible uh, news? We don't even have a wildflower for this episode yet, do we? Should. Well, I guess the wildflower is that, uh, you know, bad orange man defeated. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Epic yeah. loser. Yeah. Epic loser. Oh, one thing that's funny is... Uh, if you searched yesterday, if you searched loser in the Twitter search bar, yep. and then you went over to people, the top result was Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. If you just put the word loser <laughs> into the search bar. It, 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 uh, I think uh, Webster's because... Dictionary just put a picture <laughs> yeah. of fucking Donald Trump. And I think Trump. the reason that happened, a lot of people were like, oh shit, Jack Dorsey's off, you know, like off leash, whatever. I think the reason that happens is because if people are tweeting associated with yep, an account, yep, like yep. calling him a loser, then that's probably yeah. why. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, quite funny, yeah. I thought. Uh, but yeah, I guess just that like 40 minutes before it was called, Donald Trump tweeted like, we've, you know, won this election by, by a lot. By a mm-hmm. lot. Um, well, if you only count the legal votes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I, you know, it, it, it is scary, though. Uh, and as much as, you know, we're all really grateful that there hasn't been any reactionary violence to this uh, yet, um, the chance of it is still very high. Yeah. Um, and it, I, they're just, you know, 
anecdotes from the the barbecue joint. I went down to have a uh, veggie burrito at a barbecue joint the other day, and I was listening to these two like you know old white men talking to each other. And one of them was like, "Did you hear? Did you hear that uh, they found a hundred thousand votes out of nowhere, all for Joe Biden? Not one, not one Trump vote." And I'm like, "I've seen this uh, this spin. <laughs> I, I've seen a couple of people saying this online." Um, like disinformation is all over. And what place. it actually was was it was an error in the counting of the reporting. Okay. That it was just basically it was like what the equivalent of a typo. Yeah. Um, and that the votes like were there. It's just that they weren't. They hadn't been entered into you know whatever fucking Excel sheet that CNN uses to I don't know you know however it works. But yeah, but in their minds, that's the line anyway. Yeah, in their well, minds, yeah. there were suddenly a hundred thousand votes just appeared out of nowhere well, and when you can't trust the media you can't trust anything yeah. your entire there's no more construction because so much of our our entire flow of information now is media based yeah so if you can't trust the media you can construct whatever reality you want yep. and that's a problem that's not going to go away yep, any crisis soon. will live on and a thousand know, years and we talk about like no violence yet but honestly a, a lot of people who are holding out hope that Trump actually will win this are are holding out hope for the courts. And one by one, as these state courts, and now we're getting into federal courts, are, you know, um, um, finding a, a, uh, in favor of the Biden campaign, they're, they're legitimizing the vote count. As the court path to victory becomes narrower and narrower, I think the potential for violence is going to exponentially increase. Um, and if it does get to the Supreme Court, I hope it doesn't. But if it does and they decide that Biden wins, um, that's when I think it will be the most dangerous time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's uh, as long as as long as you can hold out hope mm -hmm. for the outcome that you want. It's, I think, easy to contain that kind of violence. But once all hope is lost for these people, I think that's going to be quite dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I've been, I've been looking around trying to find like any sort of decent reporting about like what are the chances of like the courts, uh, overturning, like a vote through like you know he's right he's really what what is it, what would it take it would take like one case where uh that gets to the Supreme Court that throws out some category of votes whether that's like mail in ballots or you know ones that show up. Uh, you know, with it would probably be for one state, most well, likely. Well, yeah, but if it goes to the Supreme Court, I feel like well, they could do whatever they want, right? Like they could do they could do a Bush v. Gore with like we make this decision and it's not and you can't cite it for any other decision. Like they can do shit. But like that, that Bush right? v. Gore decision was based entirely on Florida, right? And Florida's recount being that, well, that's why I'm saying like yes, that could so be that, it, yeah. that could happen for one, but it could, but it, but they could do it for anything. I mean, like it's the Supreme Court; they can. Yeah, the, they can I, pick it. They can say that like mail in mail in voting isn't constitutional. They can just do that. Yeah, there is. I don't and, know if they can. I think they can. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out. And, yeah. and, and like, I don't. I, I just like in all the reporting that I find is just like all of these constitutional law professors saying like it's highly unlikely and it's it, it's improbable or there's no uh, basis for it. Yada, yada, unprecedented. Yada, yada. Unprecedented. <laughs> I'm like like. Everything what? that most of what Everything the court is, does is unprecedented. Yeah, That's yeah. the point. It's, it's called precedent. <laughs> if there was precedent, they wouldn't need to talk about it. Fuck. <laughs> like, do you hear yourself? Like, you just like the whole oh, point God. is to make precedent. Yeah. And I and so it's just like I no just really no one knows. It's just gonna it, it it's this like 
uh, uh, random stochastic almost possibility that just like the right uh, person brings the right lawsuit that has standing to the right judge that then, you know, ping pongs all the way up to the Supreme Court. That's all it takes. It's just one. They just need to, they need to be lucky once, like just like the IRA. You know, they just need to be lucky once. <laughs> we have to be uh, lucky, have to be every, lucky time. every time. So I, I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. So somebody sent me this um, little thing on Instagram from uh, Ari Melber, who I guess is an MSNBC uh, host. And he quoted Jay-Z's uh, takeover. Uh, by saying that the Pennsylvania's top election official says Trump's last lawsuit won't matter because he doesn't have enough people voting for him. Uh, and he, he has this little audio. A Pennsylvania official stating that even if Trump were to prevail on the law, an outcome that might even be hard to imagine, he would still lose because of the number of people who voted against him. To paraphrase Sean Carter, we don't believe you. You need more people. And yeah, that was the uh, the famous um, diss track against uh, Nas that Jay-Z put out uh, called Takeover, um, where he said, we don't believe you. You need more people. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, one other thing before we move on past the election, I just got to say this one other thing. There is a person whose job it is to answer the phones at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. <laughs> and one day that person picked up the phone and heard from somebody in the Trump administration saying, we would love to schedule to reserve your facilities to have a press conference for the Trump, for the Donald Trump 2020 advance team. And we're going to have a big press conference there. If you know, you have some kind of like cleared out space, you know, just whatever kind of space you've got that, that we could do this kind of last minute, that would be great. And this probably $11 an hour worker at four seasons, total landscaping said, Absolutely. We can fit you in for that. And I just want to congratulate you, that person. Yeah. I want to buy him a beer uh, or, you know, a cup of tea or whatever, whatever you, whatever you like. I just want to say thank you so much yeah. for giving us this gift. Yeah. And, and hopefully the adult bookstore uh, sold some sex toys, you know? Like, yeah. I, I really hope so. I hope they saw a little bump. Maybe, uh, maybe Rudy hop, popped on over yeah. after the, after the press conference. Just mwah, 2020. <laughs> I love you. You really couldn't get any better. And speaking of uh, Giuliani, this is going to come out after uh, we do it. But um, right after we finish uh, this recording, I'm going to be uh, going down to do an impromptu show for the Flags Day um, uh, parade. That is an unofficial uh, community response to Troy's uh, Flag Day parade, which is, you know, a good time. But very jingoistic, you know, very oh nationalistic. Oh my god, yeah, it's just like fucking horrible propaganda. Yeah, and so flags with like seven Zs or whatever, Ss, um, is something that a bunch of friends of mine just do every year, where, you know, the families all come out and carry whatever flags they want, and, you know, march them down the street and like have a little <laughs> dance party, and uh, yeah, then we're gonna have a little punk rock picnic. So, cool. um, if you have a time machine, uh, come down <laughs> at uh, Saturday. Uh, what was the date today? Today is Sunday the eighth. Oh, oh yeah, Sunday the eighth at four p.m. Uh, at the Troy, the Troy Rubble Pile that used to be uh, our city hall. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I love love this it. City. Love it. All right. So something else happened on election day uh, that got significantly less coverage than um, our big diaper baby president. Uh, Israel uses cover of U.S. election to destroy Palestinian homes, critics say. 
So this happened, this is published on November 4th by NPR, and I'll link to this article in the show notes. But basically what happened is Israel did what it does all the time, which is de- demolish a Palestinian, um, this was a rural hamlet in the West Bank. And um, they do this all the time, but this was a particularly large demolition. Uh, more than 70 structures were destroyed, making it the largest single demolition in the past decade and the biggest forced displacement of Palestinians in the West Bank in over four years, according to the United Nations. 73 people, including 41 children, lived in what is called a herding community. Um, One resident told NPR, I'm 99% certain this was taking advantage of the U.S. elections because there were no journalists around. Um, A 40-year-old shepherd said he had lived there all his life. They bulldozed everything, he said. Kirbet Humsa, also called Humsa al-Bakai, a small community in tents and shacks located in the Jordan Valley in the agricultural breadbasket of the West Bank that Palestinians claim for a future state. It's, uh, strate- it's of strategic value to Israel because it borders Jordan, which is one of the reasons that they've just been demolishing settlements in the West Bank for, you know, decades at this point. But also, as we talked about in our um bonus episode that I think we released on Maine, Special Relationship, yeah. mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of... Uh, Orthodox Zionist members of the Knesset in Israel who hope who who their goal is to expand the proper boundaries of Israel to those of ancient Israel to you know help fulfill prophecy. So there is like a both a political and a fundamental religious uh, uh, kind of set of justifications for the destruction of these Palestinians' homes. So yeah, it's basically just like imagine if it it, it every these people who are already so poor who are living such a humble rural lifestyle just every every single thing that they have is taken from them and there's no justice for them there's no even like mechanism for seeking justice for these people yeah it's you know it's it's not even this really should if anyone actually paid attention to what is going on in palestine you it would be very clear that you can't have this parody or like this both sides ism or like on for example, let's bridge our two topics on Joe Biden's fucking website, where he, he says that, you know, Palestinians need to be held accountable to their actions or, or face consequences for their actions or something like that. Like the, 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 the narrative is that there are two equally opposing sides, like fighting an interminable battle of, of religious fundamentalism. Where it's like, no, you're, you're like bulldozing the tents of a goat herding like tribe like, yeah go, like fuck like why yeah. like that it's clearly clearly there's no like parody there you know um, i think that the solution here is just to make israel and palestine listen to the john lennon classic imagine <laughs> and i think that you know everything will you know flow pretty naturally from there you know we can use the power of music um and uh you know uh compromise imagine Uh, there's no rock throwers yeah (laughs) imagine there's no f-18s dropping several thousands of tons of munitions on schools no white phosphorus too no, oh, you know God. what? You know what like, we need I'm to sorry do? I'm laughing, but it's just... It's fucked up. What are yeah. you going to do? It's hard to do anything yeah. else. Yeah, what are you going to do? You know? you know what we need to do? We need to get Elon Musk in here to solve the problem. You know? And uh-huh, like, and like uh-huh. what, uh, Why don't we just send the Palestinians yeah. to the moon? Yeah. What, yeah. They can have no, half the moon. What's going to be the Biden equivalent of the Kushner uh, P- <laughs> yeah, yeah, peace probably treaty? Be, yeah, right? No. It, it, like, what we have to do is we have to... Um, you build a second 
uh, land on top of the first land. So you make a double decker Israel Palestine. Oh, so there, so the Palestine. He's going to use the boring company. <laughs> so the so that the Palestinians just live underground under Israel, and so they they get the same land, but it's just one on top of the other. And it, <laughs> like that would totally be his his solution to that. Just yeah, like the Skyrim Dwemer, they're just yeah. like forced to live underground yeah. by their not the Dwemer. What's the other? Uh, 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 I don't remember the. Race, well, anyway. eventually, to you know, Elon's credit in this idea, um, the uh, Palestinians and the Arabs will their skin will eventually lighten. <laughs> oh God! It'll just be Romulus and Remus, right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great. The yeah, the, the, and you know, I I don't want to brush over too much the significance of this happening on election day and it kind of being another maybe like a uh, less common but still important uh example of the relationship between israel and the u.s and how like you know the u.s provides cover for israel um amit galitz of betzalem which is an israeli human rights group that documents um uh, uh these kinds of like attacks on palestinians says a demolition on this scale is extremely rare and um, attributes it to the fact that, quote, everyone's attention is directed elsewhere. So I think it's like another way in which both the fact that the U.S. election is this international spectacle that draws the attention of the entire world. Yeah. That then can be used as cover for these egregious human rights violations. I mean, it's such a sticky mess, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, it's worth sort of directing our attention to that fact. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, it's, it's cool that NPR covered that. I, I I wouldn't expect NPR to, like, do that, to I mean, be honest. NPR covers a fair okay. amount of Israel-Palestine yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so it is covered, um, but it's obviously, like, I I don't know how NPR, much we pay so attention to it's NPR, so it's the most milquetoast, anyway. boring writing. Yeah. It's, like, you know, this very dry. It certainly doesn't have, like, the flair of a, let's say, New York Post article. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. wait, wait a second. You guys, are you guys BDS terrorists? <laughs> yeah because i'll tell you what new york state will boycott divest and sanction you <laughs> oh um, man does that mean like alan chartok is gonna get divested from because npr ran something about uh palestinians so now all of npr in new york is gonna get do you guys remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where, where Cuomo yeah. came out? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I remember. Yeah, so Something does that, but like, is he going to follow through with it? Is he going to get rid of our, <laughs> our, our beautiful public radio? A beautiful boy. Yeah, WNYC, Alan Chartok, really the two pillars of yeah. uh, New York public radio. So I guess the last thing I just want to say from this article is that um, when asked, the Israeli Defense Ministry's agency said the enforcement was carried out in accordance with the authorities and procedures and subject to operational considerations. Um, the the uh, representative said that the area is used for or no, one of the residents said the area is used for agriculture and only rarely used by Israel for military exercises. Um, a Palestinian aid group has provided tents as temporary shelter for the residents who lost their homes. But the um, resident Abu al-Kabash said that they are not sufficient for the village's families, including children. He said villagers are now sleeping on the rubble of their destroyed shacks. Jeez. Our bed is the ground. Our roof is the sky. We hope. Yeah, I'll end it there because I don't know if I can read the rest of it without crying. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah, it's. Uh... <sighs> but bad orange man gone. Yeah. So. You Woo! Know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, one day it doesn't get talked about 
I haven't seen anything on is like whether or not Modi is going to be super excited to work with our first uh, South Asian uh, uh, girl boss VP. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't even say historical glass ceilings broken. You know, second highest glass ceiling in the land, actually. Yep. And soon (laughs) and soon to be the highest, you know, like, yeah, there's pretty much 100 percent chance uh, Kamala will inherit the presidency uh, in. I don't know if I'm convinced of that. I don't know. No, I think he's going to make it four years. Yeah. Like that, he's he's an elite. They'll I mean, pump oh, him full of fucking formaldehyde before they let him die. Yeah, I mean, like, Kissinger is still alive. Yeah, um, it's just I don't know. I I guess I guess if anything, uh, the last several months is uh, don't get your hopes up about uh, old evil people dying. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, come on, it's, <laughs> fucking Chris Christie survived. Yeah, man. First person of color VP, first woman VP. Um, yeah, and soon to be first woman president by my calculations. I don't think she's going to ever be president. I really don't. All right. But we'll, well see. Yeah. We'll do an over under bet. What do you want to throw in? Uh, 10 bucks? Yeah, yeah. I'll bet you 10 bucks that she becomes president. All right. Cool. David, do you want to get in on this? Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Who's, well, okay. What, what side? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, David has clearly never placed a bet on anything in his life. <laughs> yeah. Did you see all these chuds who put their entire life savings into betting that Donald Trump would be reelected? All so their dinars? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, that's a lot of dinars. Yeah, I saw somebody on four, on 8chan saying that they had put like their they had like $37,000 in savings and they yeah. put they bet it all on Donald Trump being reelected. All their gold commemorative coins gone. Oh, oh wish like casting. That. Well, you know who knows? Uh, Amy Comey uh, Barrett, you know, she's she's uh, she's got a uh, high caliber rifle named after her for a reason, you know. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, that one flew. All right, forget. I don't. It. I don't get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Is yeah. there a rifle named Amy? Is that... No, there's Bar- a Barrett Bar- Barretta. Fi- no, there's a Barrett 50 cal. Oh, anyway, okay. All right, all right. Uh, our gun, our, our gun, our gun lover <laughs> listeners will. Uh, yeah. Oh, is that from like Call of Duty or something? Is well, yeah. You- all of my knowledge of uh, war comes from uh, uh, Call of Duty, which is true to life. Hundred, hundred percent. There is not a single difference between actual war and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And that's why I know that if I get drafted, I will survive mm. because there ain't no fucking lag in real life. <laughs> Damn, that's true. That's very true. So I think our wildflower for this episode is just going to be not even so much that Biden seems to have won the presidency, um, but that we don't have to think about it anymore. And we can all go to brunch. We're actually reco- we didn't mention this earlier, but we're actually recording this from a uh, a, 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 a hop and brunch spot. <laughs> so um, I'm having chicken and waffles. Oh, I could really go for some chicken and waffles. But, um, but you, no, you know what? You know what could be a good. Uh, oh, OK. Um, got one for a us? Good, a, a good wildflower here. Cory Bush. Cory Bush. Cory Bush going to the going Ken to Congress. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, she's already been deemed the newest squad member, but I really feel like they, she has to be like invited. I don't know. This seems seems very personal. I don't know if you can just like For, forgive my ignorance. Who yeah. who's this person? Yeah. So here, let's let's talk about it. Cory Bush is um, it, uh, she just got elected to Congress from Missouri. She has, uh, un- so first she had to go through a primary and she unseated William Lacey Clay, um, uh, uh, who him and his, between him and his father, uh, who had the seat before has, have held that seat for 50 years. 
Um, and wow. It's, it's one of those, Political like, dynasty. Yeah, it's one of those, like, very um, uh, gerrymandered, like, black districts, where just, like, you, you get, like, one congressional representative, and then we're just gonna box him in so he can't do anything, and also he's corrupt as hell. So, um... Uh, they so Cory Bush has unseated that dynasty and is now going to Congress. And she her work has been all about um Black Lives Matter since 2014. Oh fuck yeah! Let's see some of her her policies. She um she supports a fifteen dollar minimum wage uh federally, a two thousand dollar a month universal basic income, Medicare for all, and defunding the police. Uh, and she's uh you know not super pumped about joe biden but she'll you know she's ready to work in that in that caucus and um and she is one of the people that took aoc up on her offer yeah. to uh you know um uh, for help uh running and she's got a lot of help from uh justice democrats so a uh it's a uh, pretty clear uh what works and that that certainly did yep so uh congratulations to uh all the people that made that got cory bush up there and uh hopefully uh that's just one more like peace in the puzzle to building more power well hell yeah yeah i know that uh the stock market went up when um it looked like it was going to be a 50 50 senate uh tie they're like fuck yeah gridlock we love that shit <laughs> right, we're, yeah. the, we're, we're ruling for a reason and if the reasons don't change then we're gonna still rule <laughs> yep, yep yep um so you are gonna get lenin again this week um and it's basically closing out, I think, chapter four. I will be, I I narrated this like three weeks ago, so I, I couldn't even tell you what it's about, but I do hope you enjoy it. Um, Hell yeah. And we're about to record a bonus episode for our Patreon page, patreon.com slash ironweeds pod, ironweeds, just ironweeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that episode, we're going to talk about ICE attempting to deport these whistleblowers about the um, forced hysterectomies that took place, uh, or, that was... Um, in Georgia. In Georgia. And uh, we're going to talk, we're going to include some of the deleted scenes from our interview last week with Brett and Rob from Dumb and Awful. And so we're, and that we're talking about higher education and misogyny and policing in the military. So uh, you can look forward to that in the bonus episode as well. And you can get it for a dollar a month. Or wow. you can you can get a Gee golly. you can get a year long subscription to our Patreon for I think like eleven dollars or something. What the fuck? I know, right? We're just giving this content away, folks. <laughs> You're making money. <laughs> I am I'm I'm wearing the, the, the suit with all the question marks on it. Yeah. Like your government wants to give you free money. What a saint. What a saint. Um, but yeah, so I hope you guys will check out our Patreon feed, and thanks so much to our new patrons. We're so grateful for you. Welcome to the hottest corner of the internet. Yeah. Um, you are the best, the brightest, the hottest. Yeah. The most true. like likable. Yeah. We really like you a lot. And I think that's it, right, boys? Yeah. Uh, yeah why don't you go it. ahead and uh, look us up on Twitter? Ironweed Spot. Find us on Instagram. Ironweed Spot. Shoot us an email if you have any questions, comments, or feedbacks at ironweedspod. At gmail.com. Thank you so much. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Peace. The 1891 Preface to Marx's The Civil War in France In his preface to the third edition of The Civil War in France, this preface is dated March 18, 1891, and was originally published in New Zeit, Engels, In addition to some interesting incidental remarks on questions concerning the attitude towards the state, gave a remarkably vivid summary of the lessons of the Commune. This summary, 
made more profound by the entire experience of the twenty years that separated the author from the commune, and directed expressly against the superstitious belief in the state, so widespread in Germany, may justly be called the last word of Marxism on the question under consideration. In France, Engels observed, the workers emerged with arms from every revolution. Quote, Therefore, the disarming of the workers was the first commandment for the bourgeois, who were at the helm of the state. Hence, after every revolution won by the workers, a new struggle, ending with the defeat of the workers. End quote. This summary of the experience of bourgeois revolutions is as concise as it is expressive. The essence of the matter, among other things on the question of the state, as the oppressed class arms, is here remarkably well grasped. It is precisely this essence that is most often evaded by both professors influenced by bourgeois ideology and by petty bourgeois democrats. In the Russian Revolution of 1917, the honor of blabbing this secret of bourgeois revolutions fell to the Menshevik would-be Marxist Serratelli. In his historic speech of June 11th, Serratelli blurted out that the bourgeoisie were determined to disarm the Petrograd workers, presenting, of course, this decision as his own and as a necessity for the state in general. Serratelli's historical speech of June 11th will, of course, serve every historian of the Revolution of 1917 as a graphic illustration of how the social revolutionary and Menshevik bloc, led by Mr. Serratelli, deserted to the bourgeoisie against the revolutionary proletariat. Another incidental remark of Engels, also connected with the question of the state, deals with religion. It is well known that the German Social Democrats, as they degenerated and became increasingly opportunist, slipped more and more frequently into the Philistine misinterpretation of the celebrated formula. Religion is to be declared a private matter. That is, the formula was twisted to mean that religion was a private matter even for the party of the revolutionary proletariat. It was against this complete betrayal of the revolutionary program of the proletariat that Engels vigorously protested. In 1891, he saw only the very feeble beginnings of opportunism in his party, and, therefore, he expressed himself with extreme caution. Quote, As almost only workers, or recognized representatives of the workers, sat in the commune, its decisions bore a decidedly proletarian character. Either they decreed reforms which the Republican bourgeoisie had failed to pass solely out of cowardice, but which provided a necessary basis for the free activity of the working class, such as the realization of the principle that, in relation to the state, religion is a purely private matter, or the commune promulgated decrees which were in the direct interest of the working class, and in part cut deeply into the old order of society. End quote. Engels deliberately emphasized the words, in relation to the state, as a straight thrust at German opportunism, which had declared religion to be a private matter in relation to the party, thus degrading the party of the revolutionary proletariat to the level of the most vulgar, free-thinking Philistinism, which is prepared to allow a non-denominational status, but which renounces the party's struggle against the opium of religion which stupefies the people. The future historian of the German Social Democrats, in tracing the roots of their shameful bankruptcy in 1914, will find a fair amount of interesting material on this question, beginning with the evasive declarations in the articles of the party's ideological leader, Kautsky, 
which throw the door wide open to opportunism, and ending with the attitude of the party towards the Leave the Church movement in 1913. But let us see how, 20 years after the Commune, Engels summed up its lessons for the fighting proletariat. Here are the lessons to which Engels attached prime importance. Quote, It was precisely the oppressing power of the former centralized government, army, political parties, bureaucracy, which Napoleon had created in 1798 and which every new government had since then taken over as a welcome instrument and used against its opponents, it was this power which was to fall everywhere, just as it had fallen in Paris. From the very outset, the Commune had to recognize that the working class, once in power, could not go on managing with the old state machine, that in order not to lose again its only just-gained supremacy, this working class must, on the one hand, do away with all the old machinery of oppression previously used against itself, and, on the other, safeguard itself against its own deputies and officials by declaring them all, without exception, subject to recall at any time. End quote. Engels emphasized once again that not only under a monarchy, but also under a democratic republic, the state remains a state, i.e., it retains its fundamental distinguishing feature of transforming the officials, the servants of society, its organs, into the masters of society. Quote, Against this transformation of the state and the organs of the state from servants of society into masters of society, an inevitable transformation in all previous states, the Commune used two infallible means. In the first place, it filled all posts, administrative, judicial, and educational, by election on the basis of universal suffrage of all concerned, subject to recall at any time by the electors. And, in the second place, it paid all officials, high or low, only the wages received by other workers. The highest salary paid by the Commune to anyone was 6,000 francs. In this way, a dependable barrier to place-hunting and careerism was set up, even apart from the binding mandates to delegates to representative bodies which were added besides. End quote. Engels here approached the interesting boundary line at which consistent democracy, on the one hand, is transformed into socialism and, on the other, demands socialism. For, in order to abolish the state, it is necessary to convert the functions of the civil service into the simple operations of control and accounting that are within the scope of the ability of the vast majority of the population, and subsequently of every single individual. And if careerism is to be abolished completely, it must be made impossible for honorable, though profitless, posts in the civil service to be used as a springboard to highly lucrative posts in banks or joint stock companies, as constantly happens in all the freest capitalist countries. Engels, however, did not make the mistake some Marxists make in dealing, for example, with the question of the right of nations to self-determination, when they argue that it is impossible under capitalism and will be superfluous under socialism. This seemingly clever but actually incorrect statement might be made in regard to any democratic institution, including moderate salaries for officials, because fully consistent democracy is impossible under capitalism, and under socialism all democracy will wither away. This is a sophism, like the old joke about a man becoming bald by losing one more hair. To develop democracy to the utmost, to find the forms for this development, 
to test them by practice and so forth. All this is one of the component tasks of the struggle for the social revolution. Taken separately, no kind of democracy will bring socialism. But in actual life, democracy will never be taken separately. It will be taken together with other things. It will exert its influence on economic life as well, will stimulate its transformation, and in its turn it will be influenced by economic development, and so on. This is the dialectics of living history. Engels continued, quote, This shattering of the former state power and its replacement by a new and truly democratic one is described in detail in the third section of The Civil War. But it was necessary to touch briefly here once more on some of its features, because in Germany particularly, the superstitious belief in the state has passed from philosophy into the general consciousness of the bourgeoisie, and even of many workers. According to the philosophical conception, the state is the realization of the idea, or the kingdom of God on earth, translated into philosophical terms, the sphere in which eternal truth and justice are, or should be, realized. And from this follows a superstitious reverence for the state and everything connected with it, which takes root the more readily since people are accustomed from childhood to imagine that the affairs and interests common to the whole of society could not be looked after other than as they have been looked after in the past, that is, through the state and its lucratively positioned officials. And people think they have taken quite an extraordinary bold step forward when they have rid themselves of belief in hereditary monarchy and swear by the democratic republic. In reality, however, the state is nothing but a machine for the oppression of one class by another, and indeed in the democratic republic no less than in the monarchy. And at best it is an evil inherited by the proletariat after its victorious struggle for class supremacy, whose worst sides the victorious proletariat will have to lop off as speedily as possible, just as the commune had to, until a generation reared in new free social conditions is able to discard the entire lumber of the state. End quote. Engels warned the Germans not to forget the principles of socialism with regard to the state in general in connection with the substitution of a republic for the monarchy. His warnings now read like a veritable lesson to the Seretelis and Chernovs, who in their coalition practice have revealed a superstitious belief in and a superstitious reverence for the state. Two more remarks. One, Engels' statement that in a democratic republic, no less than in a monarchy, the state remains a machine for the oppression of one class by another by no means signifies that the form of oppression makes no difference to the proletariat, as some anarchists teach. A wider, freer, and more open form of the class struggle and of class oppression vastly assists the proletariat in its struggle for the abolition of classes in general. 2. Why will only a new generation be able to discard the entire lumber of the state? This question is bound up with that of overcoming democracy, with which we shall deal now. Angles on the Overcoming of Democracy Engels came to express his views on this subject when establishing that the term social democrat was scientifically wrong. In a preface to an edition of his articles of the 70s on various subjects, mostly on international questions, dated January 3, 1894, i.e. written a year and a half before his death, Engels wrote that in all his articles he used the word communist and not social democrat 
because at that time the Proudhonists in France and the Lasallians in Germany called themselves social democrats. Quote, For Marx and myself, it was therefore absolutely impossible to use such a loose term to characterize our special point of view. Today, things are different, and the word social democrat may perhaps pass muster, inexact though it still is, for a party whose economic program is not merely socialist in general, but downright communist, and whose ultimate political aim is to overcome the whole state, and consequently, democracy as well. The names of real political parties, however, are never wholly appropriate. The party develops while the name stays, end quote. The dialectician Engels remained true to dialectics to the end of his days. Marx and I, he said, had a splendid, scientifically exact name for the party, but there was no real party, i.e. no mass proletarian party. Now, at the end of the 19th century, there was a real party, but its name was scientifically wrong. Never mind, it would pass muster so long as the party developed so long as the scientific inaccuracy of the name was not hidden from it and did not hinder its development in the right direction. Perhaps some wit would console us Bolsheviks in the manner of Engels. We have a real party, it is developing splendidly, even such a meaningless and ugly term as Bolshevik will pass muster, although it expresses nothing whatever but the purely accidental fact that at the Brussels-London Congress of 1903 we were in the majority. Perhaps now that the persecution of our party by Republicans and revolutionary petty bourgeois Democrats in July and August has earned the name Bolshevik such universal respect now that, in addition, this persecution marks the tremendous historical progress our party has made in its real development. Perhaps now even I might hesitate to insist on the suggestion I made in April to change the name of our party. Perhaps I would propose a compromise to my comrades namely, to call ourselves the Communist Party, but to retain the word Bolshevik in brackets. But the question of the name of the party is incomparably less important than the question of the attitude of the revolutionary proletariat to the state. In the usual argument about the state, the mistake is constantly made against which Engels warned, and which we have in passing indicated above, namely, it is constantly forgotten that the abolition of the state means also the abolition of democracy, that the withering away of the state means the withering away of democracy. At first sight, this assertion seems exceedingly strange and incomprehensible. Indeed, someone may even suspect us of expecting the advent of a system of society in which the principle of subordination of the minority to the majority will not be observed for democracy means the recognition of this very principle. No, democracy is not identical with the subordination of the minority to the majority. Democracy is a state which recognizes the subordination of the minority to the majority, i.e., an organization for the systematic use of force by one class against another, by one section of the population against another. We set ourselves the ultimate aim of abolishing the state i.e. all organized and systematic violence, all use of violence against people in general. We do not expect the advent of a system of society in which the principle of subordination of the minority to the majority will not be observed. In striving for socialism, however, we are convinced that it will develop into communism, and, therefore, that the need for violence against people in general, for the subordination of one man to another, 
and of one section of the population to another, will vanish altogether, since people will become accustomed to observing the elementary conditions of social life without violence and without subordination. In order to emphasize this element of habit, Engels speaks of a new generation, reared in new, free social conditions, which will be able to discard the entire lumber of the state, of any state, including the Democratic-Republican state. In order to explain this, it is necessary to analyze the economic basis of the withering away of the state.